Hello and good evening everyone. Welcome to episode number 37 of Magic the Final Frontier. On this podcast we talk about everything Frontier, keeping our listeners up to date with what is new, powerful, and interesting in the world of Frontier. Hey, and I'm Ryan Schwink. Uh, I am the Japan hobbyist out of Tokyo, Japan. Alright, so for this episode we're going to do something a little bit fun. We were looking at other ways to really play with Frontier, to play with this card pool, or if... Magic ever did something like to put their new Magic Online, if they did it with Frontier Pool, what would happen with that? So something that we were talking about is what would cubing be like with a Frontier Pool? Yeah, I've, So. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, I've been wanting to build a Frontier Cube for the longest time. I posted something about starting to make it. I took cards out of my collection, put it in a box. I never got around to do it. It's just, it, it's kind of a, a, an undertaking to do. Yeah, I think any kind of cube is a lot of work. I don't think... Have you built a real cube before? Yeah, I built I've, I uh, built one. I have a Tempest hmm. block cube that I put together. Okay. So I've drafted a few cubes. I've built one poorly, but I haven't really done this before. So for this episode, we brought in someone who does have a lot more experience with cubing, some that we know from our online community. So we want to introduce a special guest for tonight. Welcome, Jim. Uh, it's Gurkamunch. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Good to be on the show. So welcome, Jim. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, when you started with Magic, and what your cubing experience is? Sure. So I started playing, oh, back early Magic 2000s-ish, <laughs> when I was a younger lad in uh, high school, and played for most of high school, um, sometime dropped the, the hobby, mm -hmm. and revisited back in uh, around 2010, mm -hmm. 2011. I had some friends in grad school who were um, big players and got me back into mm -hmm. it. And okay. when I came back, I was much more uh, competitive. I was much more of a gamer at that point, playing lots of different board games. And I really liked to go deep, the nuts and bolts spike before I even knew what that term meant. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, I started getting a little bit more competitive. I started with constructed, but really fell in love with limited. And being a poor graduate student, I was looking for ways to have a draft experience that was a lot cheaper. I had bought my first box of cards in Gatecrash mm. and nice. started trying to build a cube out of that. And so I started getting into cubing around the release of Gatecrash, built a peasant cube. Mm. And I've been working on that for about five years now. Very interesting. So peasant, that's a... Um, that's Commons and Uncommons? Yeah, so Peasant Cube is um, no restrictions on the numbers, but just commons and uncommons. Mm -hmm. I really wanted a way to capture the draft feel without getting too expensive mm -hmm. okay. of, a, of a collection going. Mm -hmm. the, the, the costs of, of maintaining a cube can go up rather quickly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So okay. I wanted to balance that, that power level and cost and really try to capture the feel of a draft environment, maybe just a little bit more powerful. So level. Peasant Cube, what was the other one? Um, so that, that's been my primary mm -hmm. work. I've, I've dabbled in a few other cubes, um, but mostly been working on my, my peasant cube is my pride. And joy. Mm. So as far as the reasons for building a cube, like you said, it's cheaper. Um, especially you can design it however you want. But, uh, for me, I, I built my Tempest block cube because a lot of people didn't have a chance to play those cards back in the day. Like that type of format. And that's kind of what I want to do today with like the, the Frontier Cube. There's not a lot of people out there that have these Frontier decks. But if we can kind of emulate that, maybe you know, we can get people interested and get our friends interested in playing it. I think that's interesting. When I was thinking about my goal for today, I really wanted to bring back the feeling of drafting some of these. Or not only drafting, but maybe even playing standard in some of these old Frontier sets. Mm. What people really bring to mind when they think of Oh yeah, cons of Tarkir drafting. Yeah, and they think of it was like their magic origins yeah. standard. It's like that. That was like their favorite thing was like drafting or standard, and they can kind of emulate both of those. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, I think. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I was just going to, to mirror that a little bit. I think some of the the joy of building a cube is that you really get to craft your own environment. You get to make things work however you want mm -hmm. them to work. If there's cards that you want to be strong, you get to build your power level around those cards. You get to make the archetypes that you yeah. want work. You get to make the power level of cards work. 
You mm-hmm. don't have to be confined to, oh, I'm going to try to break a format. I'm going to make the best possible deck that I can out of these cards. You can craft your own environment where you can decide what's good, what's like, bad. Try to make a fun, balanced environment. Would you say that you can make a bad cube, but you can't make a wrong cube? Like Just because, like you said, you can do whatever you want. You can make it badly. I would say, I would say that's probably true. That's yeah. probably true. Make it badly, but you can't make it wrong. So a Correct. six drops only cube, <laughs> something like that. So you're saying, let's get a theme, let's stick to it, and that's what's going to make the cube really shine, is mm. that it doesn't mean that we have to pick the strongest cards of every single color, every single type, but we want to get something that works cohesively, that has fun to draft for all the different players, and for different kinds of players, people who are looking for a different experience when they draft. Yeah. Let's, let's, go, exactly. let's go over the basics of cubing. Can you give us a little bit of a, uh, a rundown? Um, when you're starting a cube, what you should do, like as far as like number of cards and colors and things like that, creature spell balance. So there's definitely a lot of choices. There's a lot of knobs to turn. I have a lot of opinions about what I think is the easiest, the most successful. Um, but ultimately, there's there's choices. Mm-hmm. There's choices that you can make. So the first is the size. Hmm. There are a few common choices. Um, picking from the the size of cards that you need to be able to draft with a reasonable number mm-hmm. of people. So the bare minimum is usually around 360 cards. This is the number of cards that you need to have eight people draft three packs mm. of 15 cards. Uh, you can go smaller if you have a smaller play group, but this tends to be the the, the minimum mm-hmm. for for most cubes. Um, you can go larger. You can increase your card pool. You can have 540. 450, 720. Mm-hmm. These are just nice multiples of 90 added to 360. Mm-hmm. The trade-off here is you get to add more cards. You get to add a little bit more variety, but you don't get to see every card you include in your cube every mm-hmm. time if you have more than 360 cards. Yeah. Um, um, in terms of color balance yeah. and multicolored cards and artifact cards and lands, you have a lot of different choices. Uh, a common choice for a 360-card cube is to have four of each multicolored card of, of each of the guilds. Mm-hmm. Okay. So a total of 40 multicolored cards. This mm-hmm. is a nice number because it ends up mirroring regular, air quotes, regular draft sets mm-hmm. pretty well. Um, but you can go a little bit heavier if you want a multicolor theme. Uh, cons, block, for example had what would be equivalent to, say, six of every multicolor card Mm -hmm. in a 360-card cube. And Return to Ravnica, which is a little bit heavier on the multicolor theme, would be equivalent to about eight per guild, or 80 multicolored cards for a 360-card cube. Mm. Okay, so that's something we'll have to decide if we're looking at our own cube, and I think that anyone who's out there trying to build a frontier cube is something to think about. Yeah, and again, nothing, nothing's right, nothing's wrong. It's really about the environment that you want to craft. Is, you have to think about uh, what kind of color fixing you want to give to your players, whether or not you want to give a lot of color fixing, mm-hmm. whether or not you want to deny them color fixing, mm-hmm. force two-color uh, two decks, try to encourage splashing, try to encourage fully three-card or three-color decks. Mm. Uh, but there's definitely choices that you it, it all depends on the, the cards you end up deciding to put in your cube. Yeah. While we're going to play the designer role today, um, it's important to remember that your players are, are going to try to win, and they're going to try to have fun, mm-hmm. and they're going to try to have... I mean, it depends on, on the, the kind of player that you're playing mm-hmm. with, but they're going to try to break things as much as they can. No matter how much we want everyone to just behave the way we want them mm-hmm. to behave, people are going to play the game their way. Course, and yeah. so you have a lot of impact on the kind of choices that they make, but it's also worth watching other people play with your game, mm-hmm. play with your cube, and see what kind of choices they make, see what kinds of decks they so, make, see what's successful, and kind of lead them in the right direction with the cube. That's what you're doing. You're, you're giving players some, some environment that they can play around in and get their feet mm-hmm. wet. Mm-hmm. So you, you said about 50 to 60, or sorry, 40 to 50 uh, multicolor cards. What about the other colors? Do you want to keep that around the same number as well, about 50 of those? So it's going to be whatever divides up nicely with the, the mm-hmm. rest. I'm a fan of, uh, especially for, for first-time cubers, keeping everything roughly equal in terms of the monocolored mm-hmm. cards. You can, of course, have cards that are 
have cubes that are more heavily weighted towards one color or another. Mm-hmm. But there's no reason why that that necessarily has to be your first step. You keep everything nice and color balanced. Everyone has equal chance of of drafting all different archetypes. You're not pushing people in a certain. Yeah, direction. I mean, you could probably, like you said, you could build a Sultai cube that just makes like of uses course. all the Sultai colors. You know, all the Sultai archetypes. I should say, of the course, blue green, the black greens, and stuff like that. So you don't have to make everything. You don't have to use all those those colors if you don't want to. Hmm. Exactly. Um, what about creature spell balance? Do you want to have like a certain number of creatures, or a certain number of like spells that you can use? Should you have more creatures than spells, or again, is that up to the person? So it it is definitely up to the person, but there's there's kind of already a uh, a strategy that we can can rely on. We can look at at previous sets. There's there's no reason necessarily to reinvent the wheel when you're making your first cube. Mm-hmm. You can look at at sets that are coming out, especially if you have favorite draft environments. You can look them up and see how many creatures, how many spells there mm-hmm. are in each different color, especially at common, at uncommon. Um, there is a term called asfan for uh, normal sets that, that wizards use to describe their their draft environment. Mm-hmm. And so asfan stands for as you fan out the cards, what's the number that you should expect to see of each different kind of card how many blue cards how many red cards how many creatures how many instants these kinds of things it gives a a feeling for the proportions of of different components of the cube Mm. or components of your set and so you can kind of lean on this a little bit and there's uh lots of articles by mark rosewater mark rosewater is an excellent resource about magic design Mm. he talks a lot about i know where he gets it all yeah exactly where which which colors already lend themselves to having a higher creature density, mm-hmm. uh, so a higher number of large color. creatures, a large number of smaller creatures, like white, maybe red and blue have more spells. Maybe it also depends on whether or not you support a spells archetype. You hmm. want people to draft a spells matter deck, so you want a higher density mm-hmm. of spells to creatures. So there's definitely some choices, but normal draft environments tend to work very well, that green and white are your creature colors, mm-hmm. so they're going to be heavier in creatures. And blue and red are going to be less so. Mm-hmm. They're going to have more spells relative to the number of creatures that they have, and black is somewhere in the middle. So, Jim, I have a question. How similar would you say is a card that's powerful in limited normally to a card that's powerful in cube? Like something like Topin Freeblade from Magical Origins. I don't know if you drafted that set a lot. It's a oh, pretty yeah. generic two drop. It's the 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 two two vigilance gets a plus one plus one counter the first time it deals damage to a creature or a player. Is that card going to be good in a cube because it was good in limited, or is it going to be mediocre in cube because it's more like a standard or a modern environment? I think or... that the cop out answer is that it's really going to depend. Mm. Okay. Um, the a, a little bit deeper is you also get a lot of choice. You get a lot of choice about do you want Topin Freeblade to be the power level of cards that are going to be good? In is the kind of card, your, your vanilla two-drop, your bears, your grizzly bears, are those going to be the powerhouses of your set? Or are you going to want people to be doing something a little bit more dirtily? You're going to want them to go to turns 10, 11, 12, draw a million cards, uh, go incredibly deep. Do you want to support aggro? How much do you need aggressive cards to exist in your cube in order to keep your dirtily decks in check? I okay. think all of these are kinds of knobs that you have to turn. And it's going to depend on on the kind of restrictions that you have. Mm. So if you want to have a cube that includes rares and mythics from recent sets, then maybe Topin Freeblade isn't going to cut it relative mm. to these these cards. It's just not going to be up to snuff. It's always going to be that late draft pick that nobody's going to want to do. Maybe it's boring. It doesn't encourage people to do something interesting and fun with their decks. So it's really going to depend on on what your environment looks at and. Eventually, you get the choice to just start with a cube. You're going to make mistakes at the beginning. It's not going to be perfect on your first iteration, mm-hmm. but you get to build it, you get to include those cards, and you get to draft them, and you get to see. You get to see which cards perform well, which cards perform poorly, which cards never get drafted, mm-hmm. which cards are mm-hmm. taking up space. You get to craft that environment for yourself and see where you want to go once you start selecting Yeah, it cards. took me a couple times to get my Tempest Black Cube right. So that's interesting, and I think that that's something we'll probably have to decide for what, if you and I, Ryan, work on a Frontier Cube together, mm-hmm. 
Do we want it to be, you know, we want to be showing off the siege rhinos of the set, or do we want it to be something that is really reminiscent of the limited of that format? Mm-hmm. So we'll have to see for ourselves. So another kind of general cubing strategy question. I know that you've talked a lot, What you know, you've been discussing before this when we were preparing for the show, and you talk a lot about being able to counteract the most powerful strategies. So if you are really pushing an artifact theme, you'd like to have some kind of way for other decks to be prepared for that, to fight against that, so that it's not always the dominant strategy. You talk a little bit more about that on the show, of like, what are good ways to set valves to counteract some of the powerful strategies? Yeah, I would say that I think that a key component in, I think, any kind of game design is people like to have some amount of mastery, and they like to have some kind of uh, control. They want some autonomy, and they want to be able to make choices, and they want to feel like those choices matter. So if you create an environment where there are strategies that people really feel like, oh, there's nothing that I can do. Oh, this is incredibly too powerful. There was no answer. There's no options even in the draft. Mm. There was nothing that I could have done differently in order to have won this game. This is this is silly. I don't ever want to do this again. Mm. Then this this can kind of be a, a bad feeling. Even if there were choices that they could have made differently, mm-hmm. they're not going to play your cube again. So you want to create an environment where everyone feels like they have a, They have choices that they can make, you know, and and they have some kind of they have an out uh, control, right? some agency. Yeah. So, I like thinking about cards and strategies in terms of what kinds of safety valves there are within the the set within the environment to make sure that nothing really gets out of control. Magic Design talks about this quite mm-hmm. a bit in their sets. They tend not to be as aggressive with hosing certain strategies within. A particular environment but for constructed they like to leave little breadcrumbs in later sets or previous sets that make sure that people are um able to to have some answers for those strategies but okay. we just have our cubes and we don't have the ability to make additions later and give people options later we only have the cards that we have. so it's important even more so than regular sets that we include answers throughout the the set mm. but there is a natural balance of of cards of strategies and those strategies balance each other out and are able to uh not let any one particular mm. theme overrun so i think this kind of leads mm. into our next topic um i wanted to talk a little bit about how to build archetypes so you're talking about all this this card selection and whatnot so how would you go about building an archetype like if you wanted So I think my um, first advice to new players, new cubers, is that there's going to be a lot of research, a lot of work, some sit down, pencil and paper mm-hmm. work that you have to do in order to figure out what cards you want to support. Yeah. So if we're talking about archetypes, um there's kind of two approaches that we can take with supporting different archetypes. The first is the do-nothing approach, mm-hmm. where we can start including cards that we want to include, cards that are high in power level, or cards that are interesting, or cards that we like, cards that are fun, and just start throwing them into the And brazen lack of, of self-control, just throw them in and see what happens. Mm. Okay. A lot of higher power level cubes tend to use this as a ballpark, that we're going to include the most powerful cards that we possibly can, and... Whatever archetypes exist are going to exist because we included the most powerful cards. And then you so that's, just... That's kind of one approach. So you just throw it all in there chaotically, and then anything that survives, you keep in there. Anything that's mm. not being picked, you slowly work your way out of it. Exactly. And these cards came from draft environments themselves, so they're going to support certain kinds of themes. Some things will synergize with just playing magic. Mm-hmm. So there will be certain strategies that, that bubble up to the top, even if you don't even try to support anything specifically. Mm-hmm. But the other approach is to sit down and think about what cards uh, are supporting in your cube. The presence of a card like Jace Brin's Podigy, for example, is going to start the gears turning in your drafter's head about, oh, we have this discard outlet, we could potentially reanimate things, or we could loot through our deck so we could have a higher density of strong spells. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And your, your cubers are going to want to look for that stuff. So... After you've included a card like Jace Friends Prodigy, you can start thinking about, okay, if I want to support some graveyard shenanigans, then what cards exist that can push that theme? What cards 
are in the available card pool to mm -hmm. me. And for whatever whatever your definition of available card pool is, if we're talking about Frontier, maybe we're talking about Frontier legal cards. But if we're talking about a modern border peasant cube like my own, maybe we're only going to care about cards that were ever printed, common and uncommon, with a modern border. Mm. But either way, you're going to have to sit down and look at all those cards and read every card that's ever been printed and start looking for, once you get to a little bit more refined of an experience, and find those cards mm. that are going to fill the holes that you're looking so I think we're lucky in that. I think you and I both know the Frontier card pool pretty well. Yeah. If we are working on a Frontier cube, it's going to be not the hardest thing, I think, for us yeah, to Having the limitations is definitely going to make it a lot easier, I think. It's easier, but it's surprisingly hard in its own way. And I think you'd surprise yourself by looking up some cards that might not have made their way into Constructor, yeah, yeah. but they mm -hmm. would have been... Uh, a nobody card in some random set. Mm -hmm. You look up like, oh, I'm really having a hard time finding black three drops, mm -hmm. let's say. And you've included all the cards that you think are of that power level, and you're really racking your brain about what exists, what's been printed, and the, the eventually you can sit down and say, okay, I'm just going to read every single black three drop mm -hmm. frontier. Mm -hmm. And you might find some gem that you didn't even think of before from, let's say, a Theros block. Mm -hmm. Well, that, Theros isn't in Frontier. That, that but... didn't, oh, Theros isn't in yeah. Frontier, but like yeah, something a little bit older yeah. that, that maybe isn't uh, a limited all-star that kind of fell out of favor that isn't well, some, something uh, like is five, ten years something old. Something like Drana, maybe. You know, the, mm -hmm. I think it was like a 3-3 three, three, or 2-3 two, flyer? 2-3 first strike flyer. Yeah, when yeah. she deals damage, she gets a counter, yeah. give everybody else a counter. That could be something that didn't really see a lot of constructed play, but could fit really well into like an archetype such as Green-Black uh, Constrictor. Sure. Yeah, if, so sure, we've got exactly. a plus one plus one counter theme, or if we've got a vampire mm -hmm. theme, if we've got a flyers theme, it could fit into a lot of yeah. things. So that does kind of take exactly. us to where we wanted to talk about archetypes. So what we need to set up if we're thinking about a cube here for us specifically is that we want to have, you know, archetypes that make sense for Frontier in the color support. Mm. So just because, you know, black red reanimator is a classic cube archetype that i've heard of in in older formats you know there's a lot of very powerful reanimator cards a lot of good ways to mill your deck i don't know if all those things exist in the same way in frontier mm. if, if it would make sense in the same way to make that our archetype for black red so instead for black red maybe something like aggro would make sense yeah. for that or uh discard would make sense because there's a lot of discard things like the minotaurs or uh madness cards vampires we could even make like a uh a... Hallowed One gift deck if we wanted to. Yeah, possibly. Sure. Well, and that would be very specific. So that's something that we also want to think about is that we want our archetypes that we end up making for Black Red, especially for us. So, so let me kind of take a step back. Is that we would like to support wedges with our cube. Would you agree with that? So when I think about Frontier, I want to have Siege Rhino. So that means I need to have Abzan colors mm -hmm. supported. So black, white, green. That means we've got a lot more complicated because we've got to have black white be viable. We've got to have black green be viable. You got to have green white be viable. Mm. So we kind of want to think about what are some archetypes that work in Frontier for all of those color combinations and that then work together. So if I've got a black green archetype and a black white archetype, I'd like those to work together in Abzan mm -hmm. in some way. Sure. Mm -hmm. And I have a little bit of advice here. So. Something that I found when trying to support archetypes in key, I think that people do enjoy thinking about what does a green-blue deck look like? What does a green-black deck look like? And, hmm. and start going deep on those things. But being the designer, I think you have uh, some options to take a step back and look at the bigger picture um, and find a way to foster an environment where things aren't going to get stale as well. And one of the ways that I like to do that is by looking at archetypes um, you, are, you already said you're looking to support wedges. So let's say that we want to support wedges, but we don't necessarily mm -hmm. want players to draft three color decks. Maybe they will, maybe they'll mm -hmm. splash the third color. Maybe it won't be strictly three colors, but they're going to be playing wedge decks. Okay. Then what we can do is by supporting a wedge, we can give an identity to, let's, let's say Abzan. Let's say that we're, we're talking about Abzan. Then we can give Abzan an identity. And players can draft sub-portions of that wedge mm -hmm. 
and create decks that feel like an Abzan deck, but mm -hmm. are exclusively two colors. So maybe it'll be a black-white Abzan deck, or a green-black Abzan mm -hmm. deck, or a green-white Abzan deck. But it's, it's all under that same theme, because we support that theme in those three colors, even though players are drafting two-color decks, they're still going to be seeing cards in that theme. Well, especially with some of those cards that had like the double symbol that you could use to level it up or whatnot, like Warden of the First Tree. If you play that in a green-white deck, you can still kind of feel kind of like an Abzan card because you're using white to level it up, and it still has these like Abzan-type abilities. Yeah, so there's only the 10 of those in Frontier. They're a little bit of a specific example, but I do think that those mm -hmm. are good cards for us to look at as options for in our, uh, in our cube. Mm -hmm. But then the nice, the nice extension of this idea is that once you start thinking about uh, supporting wedges instead of two-color pairs, mm -hmm. is you can then look at your two-color decks as being members of multiple different wedges. So if we think about green-black, we can think about green-black as being part of an Abzan deck, and we can think of green-black as being part of a Saltite mm -hmm. deck. Uh, what happens when you splash white? What happens when you splash blue? Mm -hmm. And maybe those are a little bit different, but maybe there's a nice overlap. Mm -hmm. And what's nice about supporting um, the wedges in this way is that green-black deck, mm -hmm. if there's good overlap between those two archetypes, then there's a, a way to make that green-black deck feel different every single time that you're drafting mm -hmm. it. And I think that's a very important part about, about cubing is if you're, especially if you're supporting a 360-card cube where you're going to see every single card that you draft every time, like I do, you really want to make sure that it feels fresh, that there aren't a set of cards that, oh, the, the Abzan token deck or the Abzan counters deck they just got those cards every single time. And nobody else wanted them but the Abzan deck. And the Abzan deck got mm. them. And that deck now feels the same. It's like a constructed deck almost. It's an illusion of choice that you draft. Mm. But if you have a green-black deck that's pulling in two different directions, because you have support in Sultan, you have support in Abzan, then you can create a fresh environment every single time because uh, what cards did you see? Which, which kinds of themes did you see? Um, how did you put those themes together when you drafted? But there's an expression by the joining of those themes each time that you draft that makes everything feel fresh mm -hmm. and feel new. So, Brian, do you want to try going through and uh, talking about some specifics that we can yeah, do? Yeah, I'd like to so, kind of go through the colors. Um, like, what if I was going to build a Frontier Cube, like, what kind of archetypes would I like to try to build into it? But I'm so okay. Why don't we start with? Do you want to start with the wedges, and then we'll go into the two color yeah, pairs? Good. Kind of do that exactly what we're talking yeah. about. So, what do you think of? I mean, we were talking about Abzan. So, what archetypes do you think would possibly fit into an arc? An Abzan. I think Ab Abzan deck? aggro is definitely doable. Okay, so kind of just big creatures in those three colors at aggressive rates. Yeah, there's a lot of good green, green, white, green, black, and you know, even like we said, we want to play Siege Rhino definitely. So, so I would play mm -hmm. that. Um. What about? I can also see that being a little bit slower, you know, kind of the big creatures on the higher side, it makes sense as well. Not quite a ramp, but sort of a mid-range, mm -hmm. you know, your classic Abzan mid-range strategy, getting things like Siege Rhino gain you life, getting big creatures that grow, um, life gain, all of that seems to work. Could we play Rally as well in Abzan? I think theoretically, I think that black and white are probably the colors that you'd really want for some kind of aristocrats deck. Mm -hmm. Maybe red as well, so I could see some overlap there, but maybe you'd want that more in the Mardu, mm -hmm. or that's in the white-black strongly, and then red and green supported in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, the other one I could really see is scales. Mm. That, that's kind of green, white, black, and you know that is what Abzan originally had as its ability, is being able to grow with plus one, plus one counters. Yeah, was that with the Anafenza? It was green white. Yeah, yeah it had yeah, Anafenza. Yeah, yeah. It had Outlast as its ability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that now. Yeah, I, I, I could definitely see that now. How about how about Delirium? Can we build in like? Uh, I mean, Delirium is one of them. I think that could be both an Abzan or like in Sultai. Okay, so I can definitely see that being green and black. Sort of wants to play the Delirium mm -hmm. game, and then if you add blue, you get some of those maybe card draw or counter spell. Mm -hmm. Or if you add white, then you get. So maybe we make the white the more aggressive elements on there, something like that. Mm -hmm. And they're exactly what we're talking about. So Sultai Delirium makes a lot of sense to me as kind of their theme. And if we're playing... So, I mean, can you think of any other Abzan archetypes that you'd like to include? 
No, I think that that's already quite a few for uh, Abzan. Unless if there's any, uh, do you think of any like creature types that we'd want to support as maybe a sub theme? So warriors. I don't know if I would go with <laughs> possibly. Maybe? Yeah, I, th- I think um maybe uh maybe Jim can tune in on this, but I don't know if I would want to make creature types an archetype for any of my color yeah. pairs. But I think could. that creature types can be very dangerous to support. I think that we've seen how difficult it is to support a creature type uh, in a draft environment with things like um, Ixalan mm-hmm. Block. Mm-hmm. Ixalan Block had a very difficult time creating ways for players to care about type line mm-hmm. that are also not incredibly parasitic and linear. Mm-hmm. So and honestly, it's, it's something you, you want to, to say, Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Is it something we've talked about when we talk about Frontier in that we're playing with more sets than Standard does, so we get to take the, the Standard deck that never made humans work or never made elves work, and we get to take the other sets and make it into something that works. And that's exactly why we can't do it with a draft environment. We're going to be seeing all of these cards every time. Sure. I think, I think a very dangerous line is that when you're building a humans deck, or an elves deck, or a goblin deck, is you get to include these cards that nobody else cares about. Nobody, mm-hmm. nobody else wants these cards because they specifically care about the number of goblins mm-hmm. that you have, or the number of humans that you have. No one's going to end up And when we're cards. building... Or, or they just belong in one yeah. deck. So it can be kind of a, a false flag when you're drafting where there's these cards that are encouraging people to um, care about, say, the number of goblins that they have. Mm-hmm. Or the number of humans that they have. But then they're the only players that want those cards, or maybe nobody at the table is drafting those cards, and they don't they don't fit into multiple different decks. Mm-hmm. They can't play, they can't wear a lot of different hats. And if they always play the same way, then it can very easily turn into something that's a little bit more stale. Now, if you have something like vampires from Battle for Zendikar, as opposed to vampires from Ixalan, we have a different tone where vampires have a theme of gaining light but there's a reason to care about vampires because they get the madness as well they... which kind of works into like a yeah, dredge have... mechanic or something or yeah if you have a reason to care about the type line thematically rather than i care about the number of vampires mm-hmm. that i have i care about the number of humans that mm-hmm, i have mm-hmm. then you're gonna get those juices flowing when you're drafting and it's gonna feel a lot more mm-hmm. fresh if there's multiple different ways that i can play with yeah. Uh, say my madness cards if i can have some kind of madness strategy or i could also have some delirium strategy mm-hmm. some graveyard strategy then now i'm playing in multiple different ways mm-hmm. and maybe there's something that can feature that theme maybe i'm a vampire that cares about gaining life mm-hmm. so now i can include other cards that gain life like in a johnny's pride mate that might not otherwise be powerful in a vampire's deck that cares about the vampires mm-hmm. that you have with something like a vampire lord but if you're just caring about gaining life now you have a little bit more versatility in your, your draft. Mm. So we talked about Sultai a little bit. I said Delirium. Can you think of any other good yeah. Sultai archetypes? No, I was just coming back to that. I was just thinking Sultai. I can't think of too much else. I what think about that would fit Dredge? In Those really... I could see something, yeah. Like, I mean, like that sort Kassiger of fits in the same... Or... Some kind of graveyard strategy. Yeah, or maybe like some kind of Delve-type strategy, maybe. Like put stuff into the, and the something graveyard. more. You could also just say control. I yeah. think that control in green blue makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe even what about um, emerge? Yeah, that was always in Sultai colors. Definitely playable. I could see um, making that. I could, I could see Elder Deep Fiend getting played in there, or the uh, maybe even the black one. I mean, there's there's some good yeah, extended mindbender. Yeah, there's some good good choices for that. All right, so we did. Uh, I did like drafting abundant maw quite a bit. I think Abzan and Sultai. It's also oh, sorry. It's it's worth mentioning that we. While it's great to brainstorm, it's great to write mm-hmm. down a lot of ideas. You don't need to be too ambitious with your first draft. Yeah, yeah, that's why. We're in fact, I would, I would, here. I would suggest less is more, mm-hmm. especially for your first draft. Stay focused on just a few. Um, let's just support graveyard junk mm-hmm. and see what graveyard strategies look like mm-hmm. when we support yes. those. And, and I, I think that's maybe when we line... mix, like like we said, okay, so if if we have we support Abzan and Sultai, then there's going to be already different ways in which that green black deck is mm-hmm. going to look like so we don't actually mm-hmm. need to work too hard to support a large laundry mm-hmm. list of, of archetypes we can stay focused on themes 
and the strategies are going to emerge and difference in decks is going to emerge just by the 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 different pulls of those archetypes on specific colors yeah so i wouldn't try and put all of these archetypes in the same cube what i was trying to talk about is that if you're looking at your own frontier cube you can go a few different ways to start yeah. with. So personally oh, for me, yeah, of course. I went with counters for my Abzan. I went with Graveyard for my Sultai. I went with, we were just talking about kind of a, an Aristocrats for White, Black, yeah. Red. Or, um, so yeah. White, Black, Red, I could also still be seeing control. Like it could also be an aggressive strategy. Yeah, or it could be tokens. Yeah, All I, those I love tokens, to especially if you're going to add in like the old uh, aggro strategy with the... Um, what was it? The uh, Colagon, the five mana one with madness. The mm-hmm. uh, something, something. Not skies. with madness, but with dash. Colagon, the uh, yeah, Storm's Fury. Yeah, I think that sounds. So, sounds what about uh, Jeskai colors? What can you see as a theme that might work for that? I really wanted to put Jeskai Ascendancy in there, but I wonder if that would be <laughs> just kind of like two glass, not glass cannon, but like how do I say it would only use like specific. Very specific. Cards. I mean, that's only the one card. Uh, I do think that. I mean, Prowess was originally the Jeskai ability mm-hmm. i think that just guy prowess makes plenty of sense yeah um so some kind of blue white red blue red white spells would do fine i think that tokens could also work in red white blue mm-hmm. um what about just guy humans hmm. interesting like mage i could see that. Like that um mantis rider yeah i mean there there again we'd be talking about a human's payoff and i think the only payoff would be really just the lieutenant mm-hmm. in white so that that seems very specific to base it based on requiring one card for the archetype to work mm-hmm. um just guy control uh, i i can say that's that spells spells and control kinds of archetypes can work very well in uh, just guy grixis mm-hmm. really everything non-green yeah. the quality of your spells is just going to go through the roof once you start building the cube for yourself you're going to include the best of the best you're going to have um your lightning bolts mm-hmm. equivalents i mean in, in yeah. frontier there isn't a lightning bolt but, but these qualities of cards relative to others um your wild slashes mm-hmm. harness lightnings um in blue you're gonna have fantastic counter spells yeah. pull from tomorrow dig through time uh glimmer yeah mm-hmm. supreme will disallow negate essence scatter you have this this high density of incredibly powerful spells that really make the spells archetype work in a way that that it doesn't work mm-hmm. in other uh, other draft sets where the quality of, of instants and sorcery the non-creature spells just can't be at this power level. I think Jeskai. F- I could also see artifact matters being a Jeskai mm-hmm. theme. You know, in blue and red, and then white. Like well. a vehicles type thing. Yeah, vehicles, something like um, that. How about like a Jeskai flyers type deck? You know, get like Ojitai in there, and of course you can have spell squeller, mantis rider. That would make sense. Yeah, and that could also be blue and white. Yeah. So that's kind of how I, when I so when we started to break it out, I kind of saw blue white could be flyers, and then if we have blue red white as an aggro strategy, then flyers fits in well with mm-hmm. that. Um, what about teamers? Our last uh, tricolor. What what do you kind of see as teamer strategies in front? I right think now? either works. Marvel could work because it shares with just regular teamer energy, which could be another archetype you could include, and you could even do like the energy in fact type uh archetype as well so i think okay that makes sense to me i I like energy and teamer i like um i like ramp as well and i think that fits in well if you're trying to do something with big creatures Mm -hmm. for teamer Mm -hmm. so i i would choose aetherworks and slash energy as one of my uh archetypes okay and that's about where i went as well do you want to talk about some more of the individual pairs yeah um where where should let's finish talking what real real quick on on energy as a as a caveat mm. for, for anyone who's mm-hmm. thinking about supporting a similar archetype. I mean, we, we had energy in Kaladesh block. Um, it was a draftable archetype. Mm-hmm. It did very well. But it's worth mentioning that being the designers of the environment, having something parasitic like energy can be very difficult to support. So by parasitic, I mean cares about itself mm. and only itself. Mm-hmm. And without anything, there's else. there's no yeah there's 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 no other way to generate energy other than cards well, that already generate with energy. a card like yeah so, I would so think you're if, bottlenecked in a little way of of what kinds of cards you can support. I think and I it's think very right important to make sure you get the balance right for how many cards mm. exist that push your theme. Um, mm. Mark Rosewater uh, talks about if your if your theme isn't common, it's not your theme. And for Cube, we don't have this idea of a common card, but you have an idea of yeah. how frequently does this show up on cards mm. 
in order to be able to support it. As an I think our, I think Aether works Marvel because it has that uh, ability of gaining an energy whenever a permanent uh, leaves the battlefield. I think that can work on its own. I think we can work in some other archetypes where, you, like sacrificing, you know, something maybe with like the rally type archetype that kind of works with Aether works. You gain all this energy and then you cast something, you know, to like you know, to like take over the board. Yeah, so I wouldn't focus just on Aetherworks Marvel being a whole deck on its yeah. own. I mean, we've got eight people drafting. We'd like more than one people to be able to per- theoretically be in Team or Colors. Mm-hmm. But I do think that right now there is a small enough card pool that we can make energy work and still be a good strategy. I would just, as a caveat, I would go all or nothing. If you're not going to play mm-hmm. a full energy theme, don't play any of them at yeah. all. And don't, for example, play like a black energy card in the cube if blue red green is where you have your energy yeah. support it wouldn't just would make sense there <clears throat> so um exactly and, and it's not to say that you can't support anything you can support anything that you want to mm-hmm. you just need to be cognizant of, of the choices that you're making mm-hmm. what impact those choices have on your ability to support different things and if you want to support enough energy cards to make that your theme then maybe that's going to cut into real estate of other archetypes and other cards that you can so it's, it's just important to to know what the impact of your choices are mm-hmm. as you go and try to write down your card file and figure out what cards are in your cube to, to know that, okay, if I include this large chunk of cards that are going to push this theme, then I know that that's going to cut into real estate for other things. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. my other themes aren't going to be as prevalent because I had to use so much mm-hmm. space. Okay, so let's go some more themes with the individual color pairs, especially enemy pairs. Mm-hmm. So. Did we talk much about black and white? I think there's a lot of kind of options there. You know, there's zombies that are in black and white. There's vampires in black mm-hmm. and white. I like tokens. I think even life gain. Yeah, zombies could you be good. You think tokens in black and white? Tokens could be good. If I were to do tokens, I think I would go white and red. That's where I was really, in the, in the example cube I've kind of put together, yeah. I was going hard on tokens in white red. I think that there's a lot of carryover there. There's some good, quote unquote, like the signpost uncommon sort of cards. Mm. We would have some of well, the see, dual with, color with cards. Zombies, white, if you're playing really zombies, zombies create a lot of tokens. Sure, yeah. So, so that kind of might tokens, well, tokens are incredibly great to support because they they just work in so many different mm-hmm. strategies. Mm-hmm. You can have cards that care about generating value. Tokens mm-hmm. just generate value more than others. Um, there's cards like Rakshasa Gravecaller mm-hmm. from Kanza Tarkir. Or no, that was from Dragons of Tarkir, mm-hmm. the exploit mechanic. Um, that is your your mini Grave Titan that produces these tokens. So you can have this kind of go-wide strategy because it's producing a lot of bodies, mm-hmm. but you can also have a sacrifice theme because you're having to sacrifice something in order to make these zombies. Um, so your go-wide token, so your, um, what was the, the X-White spell? Uh, secure the Waste. Generates a lot of warriors. Secure, secure the Waste. Yes. So you can have these cards that, that can go into a go-wide uh, aggressive strategy, but they can also create a lot of bodies for something that cares about plus one plus one counters. Mm-hmm. So I could you see can that. Have yeah. new combinations of cards, like uh, maybe you get to play uh, Abzan Falconer with Ridge Scale Tusker, mm-hmm. cards that were normally drafted before, but the same go wide token theme that works in a sacrifice deck mm-hmm. that just produces these irrelevant bodies that are going to get consumed can also play nicely in a go wide strategy that puts plus one plus one counters on everything but can also play nicely in a troll deck that wants to just wait out the game mm-hmm. and end yeah. with one big spell. Well, so for token example, producers are this, this so nice... So red and white, if like red and white is tokens, then red, white, and blue works well as aggro tokens. Red, white, and black works as aristocrats tokens. Mm-hmm. Or if we're doing white, exactly. black, and green, we could have that be, you know, growing tokens. And green, white scales, tokens, tokens, of course. Something like that. Green, white tokens, green, black, and care plus one, plus one okay, counters. Um, let's keep on uh, moving. Red, red, blue can have their token producers <laughs> yeah, uh, be spells. Maybe we should. Okay, so let's like move on have... to another more colors here. Cause yeah, we, have, sorry. Uh, we can talk time. about it forever, uh, I know. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, why don't we think about just, you know, let's kind of just you know spitball some archetypes, not go too deep and everything. Uh, how about blue, red? Um, Maybe the Thermo Alchemist, like an Alchemist Burn type deck. So, okay, yeah, spells make sense. I think that, that that's been supported in a few of the decks, or in a few of the uh, the Frontier sets. Mm-hmm. I think Artifacts makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Like an Insole Artifact-type deck, maybe? or But the Insole's um, not going to be as good, but we do have some ab- abilities that can make Artifacts creatures, so... Yeah, there are a lot of other Artifact Matters cards in Blue Red. 
Um, how about wizards? Do you think that could be a theme that could might work? Maybe. Yeah, just as a just you know, I'm just trying to spit yeah. all the things so that anyone who's out there trying to follow along, yeah. make a frontier cube with us, can kind of go with it. How, how about green black? Green black. Um, constrictor definitely. Like a hardened scales type type of um thing would be really good. I think. That makes sense to me. Or just even I can see any kind of green black like value. Mm-hmm. You know, um, landfall, something like that. Would you play? Yeah, I would encourage. I'd encourage people at home. So the reason why I was going a little bit deep before about about these different interactions is because I would encourage people to think about how your cards can wear multiple different mm. hats. Mm-hmm. So being able to envision a world where cards are powerful, uh, doing one particular strategy, but can also pivot and be uh, a, a role player in. Uh, a completely different mm. deck. So, so something like Tireless um, Tracker might be an example here. If I've got it in green, black, landfall, that really is a good card for that. If I've got it in green, white, humans, it's going to be wanted to play mm. there. If I've got yeah. a but maybe if you care strategy, about artifacts, yeah. then some random cards from some other, even if you're not supporting um, a green artifact deck, it might find its way to pair with some blue card mm-hmm. that cares about uh, say having an artifact to play. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, your token producers might produce artifacts so that they can fit into a deck that cares about artifacts. Like, for example, uh, Maverick Thopterist. You have a, a token producer that produces artifacts. So now you can have something where your go-wide decks that want to produce a lot of bodies have a tool that they can use, mm. but mm-hmm. also can produce artifacts for decks that care about having artifacts. Mm-hmm. Like, the more that you can envision these cards wearing different hats, playing different roles... I think the the more mileage you're gonna get out of out of each individual card slot mm. cube. So green black, we can care about um, putting things in the graveyard so that we can be doing things delirium. like um, say casting yeah. yeah delirium or or we're casting a gurmag yeah 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 uh, as a as a different as a different approach. So but the gurmag angler might also be able to play with a control strategy in black mm-hmm. where you're filling your graveyard with just used spells mm-hmm. either cantrips like your 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 uh opt kind of effects mm-hmm. or uh and just the removal that you cast throughout the game so you have a different way of casting your gurmag anglers mm-hmm. that are different than your green decks which are trying to just fill your graveyard um would okay. green black elves work i think that's also a theme that could theoretically make sense that would be because we, we want the more we want the mana creatures as ramp cards right yeah, I think that's mm-hmm. more doable than some of the other ones because there's green-black elves that would be playable in every strategy still, and there's also a few more payoff cards. It's not like there's one payoff card for green-black elves. Mm-hmm. There's several elf matter cards. Like if you were going to make a green-red stompy deck, you could play like the uh, new um, Steel Leaf Champion if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. Shaman of the pack, maybe not as much. But I mean, you. Pre- yeah, that that's one of those cards that only the elf deck might yeah. want. But it's a decent card. It's not going to be terrible if you're in green and black already. But you're going to have Coco in there. You're probably going to have Court of Calling in this cube. So. Yeah, those are definitely options. So, um, I'm going to kind of move us towards the end of our yeah. show. Um, you know, there's a lot of things I think still should, here going on. I think like... you and I, we should both working on a cube. Um, just as a fun thing, I just sent you guys a a sample hand from. So I did put together a cube. We've been working on this idea for a few days. I, I just gave a uh, pick one, pack one. I want to see what you two would pick from uh, this set here. So I've got Dramoka's Command, Glorybringer, Anguished Unmaking, Phyrexian Scriptures, Negate, Kiora, Banefire, Crux of Fate, Opul- Opulent Palace, Sky Sovereign, Console Flagship. Grow from the Ashes, Vrassel's Contempts, Selfless Spirit, Claustrophobia, Become Immense. A lot of high power here. Mm. Do you have anything that uh, stands out? Opulent Palace stands out. <laughs> way, going way for the land the first. Oh, oh, I love, I love drafting land and get some really great um, options in terms of being able to stay open, well, especially with your tricolor lands. Mm. Um, I'm sure that the cube, if it's a frontier cube, it's also going to have your fetch lands mm-hmm. and fetchable duels. So there's mm-hmm. also an ability to stay open this mm-hmm. way, and same cube. Logic applies. If you're interested, I'm sure people have written many articles about um, drafting lands from from cubes of this nature. But uh, just the ability to stay open mm-hmm. in a draft where cards are incredibly powerful really stands out. I think I would go more than any particular card. Do you have a strong front runner? Yeah, Ryan? I would go with Sky Sovereign. 
I think console hmm. flagship just because like um Jim was saying earlier like uh, artifacts are kind of really dangerous as in you know they fit anywhere you got to be careful you know not to have too many and this just can fit into so many different decks See I was thinking of Glorybringer yeah. is just the biggest classic that was my, bomb that was here my but other choice <laughs> Okay yeah. Maybe it depends on how good removal is and how much that's really going to be different from a normal. It depends. It depends on if if your cube is like like you said more of like a mid range cube or like an aggro cube or or whatnot as well. Okay, I think the most important thing is we want to hear what you guys think. So anyone who's trying out a cube, there, just send us a link. We'll check it out. We'll give advice. We'll maybe try a few hands with it. I'd love to hear it. I think that Ryan and I might be working on our cube ourselves, yes. and we'll uh, have, we'll probably post that somewhere. I have Eternal Weekend yeah. coming up in. <laughs> Yokohama, not this weekend, but awesome. next weekend. So, so I'm thinking of maybe building one before then. I want to see that. I want to see this. Uh, make sure to tweet us out. We're at MTG Frontier, MTG underscore Frontier on Instagram, and we're MTG Frontier.net. Uh, Ryan, you also have your website, www.thejapanhobbyist.com. Did I do three W's again? I can't remember. <laughs> and uh, Jim, we really want to thank you for having me on the show. Um, this is great yes. help. I think you gave a lot of insight we would not have known. It's great. Do you have any kind of contact info or anything you want to throw out there for our listeners? Sure. I'm, uh, I think I'm the Gurkamunch on Twitter. Uh, I'm not all. as active as I probably could or should be, but I love talking about Cube. You're really pulling my, <laughs> my arm to get on here and talk about this. something I think about quite a bit. So if and anybody's interested in talking more, yeah, G O E K E. It's a, a German. In, uh, American German bastardization of the of the name. All right, uh, but yeah, I love talking about Cube. Anybody who wants to to talk about these kinds of themes really go deep mm. on on design. There's a lot of room to explore, and I think anybody who's looking to Cube at home just have fun with it, make it your own, and mm-hmm. allow yourself to to be wrong and allow yourself to throw out ideas. Don't don't force anything. Mm-hmm. Don't don't put too much pressure on yourself. Just this, start drafting. This- Put put together a list of cards and start drafting and see what works and throw out the garbage mm. and and really be honest with with what's working and what's not working and, and just have fun with yeah, it. Yeah, this has helped me a right, lot. We'll probably I, be back. I'll definitely yeah. be listening to this again and again to get all the wisdom. <laughs> all right, we'll probably be back with our more regularly scheduled content uh, next week. Yeah. But for everyone out there, I want to thank you all for being our listeners and for we're glad to be your go-to source for frontier information online. Your final frontier signing off. <laughs>